0: Hey everyone, I'm Roy Townsend and I'm the grow pastor here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do this is to text River Connect, one word to 97000 or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text an about that you want to give to eight 321, or you can visit our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm the location pastor here at Lake Orion. I'm just so glad you're with us today, um, and so I look forward to continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as we've been talking about that, we'll be talking about that for a few more weeks until we hit our Christmas season, our Christmas series, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And uh, but the Sermon on the Mount is uh, this is the second stint we've had in it. We talked about the Beatitudes last year, and so everything that we talk about with the Beat- or with the Sermon on the Mount is predicated on the Beatitudes. And so if you want to see, hear some of those messages, you can go back to last year. They're on our app. You can go to our website and find them too. Um, we talked about the attitudes last year at this time. But we're continuing in the sermon on, Mount today, sermon on the Mount today. And I don't know about you, but as we've gone through this, I continue to learn so much as we dig in and hear Jesus speak to so many specific things. Um, to hear Jesus talk about the things that affect our lives is so very important. And ultimately, what Jesus is doing with this, with this sermon, the, the longest sermon we know that he preached, um, was is to correct what the rabbinical leaders, the the, the the religious leaders of the day, how they were talking about the law and they added things to it and they, and they were doing all this extra stuff and Jesus is saying, no, this is what I meant. <laughs> this is what was written and this is what the law means. And so you hear him say a lot, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, and we're gonna hear that again today. Um, he's setting the record straight. And today I just wanna dive right in and I'm gonna let Jesus tell us What our topic is. So Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. You have your Bibles. We're going to jump around a little bit today, but Matthew chapter five is where we're starting. That is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start in verse thirty-one. The verses will be on the screen behind me, but I always encourage you to look at it for yourself because we could put up a wrong verse. I want you to know that this is from God's word this morning. If you have your devices, you can use your Bible apps. If you download the River Church app, we have the scripture in there as well. I read from the English Standard Version, just so you know that. If you're following along in in an app and you're reading a different translation, then you can at least know what I'm reading from if you want to hear the same words when I read them out loud. all right. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32 says this. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for this sermon, Jesus, that you preached. That, Lord, we have so much to learn from. And I pray, Lord, that as we speak this morning, you would give us ears to hear and hearts to apply. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move among us and that you would speak to us. And then again, we would have ears to hear what you are saying. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak your words and not my own. And that this would be about you. God, we give this morning to you. Challenge us, encourage us, mold us and shape us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, We are two for two in the last two weeks, are we? Lust last week. Divorce this week. Jesus isn't pulling any punches. I don't know that Jesus ever pulled any punches when he spoke, but the reality is that's where we find ourselves. Um, As we begin on this topic today, I want to say what I end every gathering with. I want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I want you to know that you are loved. We don't preach from God's word because we want to be harsh to anyone. Jesus didn't preach this because he was trying to be harsh. He wanted people to know exactly what the law said. And so uh, and what God required of us and and the the standards that he set out. Because the reality is that statistics would tell us that about 80% of us in here have somehow been impacted by divorce. At least in some way. Whether that's personally because you've gone through a divorce or because of your parents or because of friends or because of family members or something or parents... 80% of us in this room have been somehow impacted by divorce and what it does to families. It's estimated today that about 43% of marriages end in divorce. And I will tell you that's down. That number is down. But as I look at stats, and a lot of people look at stats, I don't think the number's down because divorces are down. I think the stats down because marriages are down. We're not getting married as much as we used to. Um, And that's probably because cohabitation before marriage has raised in acceptability in our culture. I will tell you, cohabitation has raised in acceptability in the church of Christ, too. We only need to refer back to last week's message on lust. To know that cohabitation is not God's design for relationships between a man and a woman. Not before marriage. In fact, cohabitation has taught us that commitment isn't necessary. And the reality is, it sets us up to, we begin to act like we, we practice being married, we practice getting divorced, we practice getting married, we practice getting divorced, because we haven't made a, made a commitment. And so that's, again, why statistics, have, I believe, have somewhat gone up. Statistics also tell us that only one in four relationships that cohabitate actually make it long-term. And you can so you can imagine the effects of that. I also know that in a room this size, some of you have been divorced. Some of you here have been divorced, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is a tough, tough talk- topic to speak on. All of us, all eight of us location pastors have talked a lot this week, and we're going, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to move forward? How are we going how, how to preach this well? How are we going to teach this well? There are real people that are affected by divorce. So I want to say, if you've been divorced, or if you've suffered the effects of divorce, I want you to know That there is grace and mercy available at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is always grace and mercy available. Because this is the effect of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel. You have to know that as we begin. And there's a lot of pain when it comes to the topic of divorce. Just by me saying the word for some of us in the room has caused us to tense up. And to have remembrances of pain that we've been through. However, we've got to hear the truth of God's word. Jesus brought this up for a reason. We need to know what Jesus is saying about divorce. He taught it for a reason. It's important for us to know the truth because there's a standard set in God's word about marriage and divorce. And so as I speak on this topic today, I'm going to ask you to recognize that I'm speaking about a topic and I'm not speaking about individual people, though you may apply that in your own life. I'm going to rely on the Spirit to do that. It's not my job to be the Holy Spirit in your life. It's my job simply to teach the truth from God's Word. And that is my goal this morning. It does mean that this morning we're probably going to have our toes stepped on at some point. And yet, I would venture to say that as we, as we get into God's Word, all of us have our toes stepped on, right? In different ways, in different times, all the time. Um, so I'm going to ask you to listen for the voice of God. Listen for the voice of God. Listen for his word, not mine. My goal this morning is to preach the word, not give you my opinion. And so if I, if I have an opinion, I'm going to, to be sure to state that at the beginning rather than saying, that, thus saith the Lord. But I'm really trying to stick to God's word this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And on, and on top of all that, as always, if you ever want to have a conversation about what I say this morning, I would love to have coffee. If you don't feel, if you feel like it's too big of a conversation to have at Starbucks, we can meet in my office. I am more than willing to speak about this topic with you or any topic we ever talk about. I love that. I love to, I, and there's a back and forth. I'm not right all the time. I want, to talk, I want to say that this morning. I don't stand up here as somebody who is right all the time. Jeanique would say amen. She's my wife, (laughs) all right? But the reality is, is again, I'm I'm seeking to, to give you God's word this morning. And if we go back to what Jesus is doing, he's addressing the fact that the religious leaders had, again, set things up differently for divorce. And so what Jesus is referring her actually goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It'll be on the screen. Let me read it to you. It says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and then she departs out of his house. Then he goes on and talks about some of the other qualifying things. But what the rabbis, the religious teachers, had focused on was that phrase, he has found some indecency in her. That was what they ended up focusing on. And so the rabbis had actually decided that they were, and they told people that a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled dinner. Okay. How many of you you have spoiled dinner? Guys, you can raise your hands too. Amen, right? If she walks around town with her hair down. If she just spoke to men in the streets. If she spoke disrespectfully of her in-laws, how many of you spoke? No, just kidding. Don't raise your hands. Um, (laughs) One rabbi even wrote that if a man found a better looking woman, he could divorce her. I think the rabbis are getting this wrong, right? But I hear you. But the reality of it is, is that again, they, they came up with all these extra things and Jesus is saying, oh no. No, no, no. Jesus is stating what God intended about divorce and placing an extremely high value on marriage, which is found throughout the Old Testament. He's now stating that apart from sexual immorality, divorce is not condoned. He says more here too, but I'd like to start about what, talking about what marriage is and what marriage isn't, all right? So what about marriage? What is what is this thing of marriage? And for those of you that are single, don't lose me here, all right? I know we're talking about divorce and marriage, but the reality is is, is those of you that are single also have a gift from God. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, all right? So, so, But learn as we go through this, okay? So what is it about marriage? Now, marriage is ultimately God's design. It's not man's. This was not an invention of man. The institution of marriage did not come from man's thoughts. It was from God from the beginning. It's ordained by God. And only he gets to define what marriage is and what it isn't. And so in order to understand what marriage is, we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the only relationship that is condoned in marriage, that is ordained by God in marriage, a man and a woman, a man and a woman, and they come together in marriage and they become one flesh, one flesh. This is different than any other human relationship that you can have. It's the only relationship that God declares that a man and a woman become one flesh. There's no other person that you can become one flesh with. It's a special relationship. In fact, in human relationships, this is about the most intimate, if not the most intimate relationship that you can have other than marriage, or other than that of marriage. Not with friends, not with parents and children. See, a husband and wife know each other emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Marriage is the deepest human relationship. That's why marriage is honored by God. It's not to demean or diminish any relationships that those that are single have because there are other deep relationships that we all have. And again, we have to go back to God's word. And if you're single this morning, understand that's a gift from the Lord because that, not, if you're married, Paul even said, it's better to remain single if you can, but marriage is good too. But if you remain single, who do you have that kind of intimacy, intimacy with alone? God, your father. And my friends, if you can remain single and you're called to that, your intimate relationship is with God himself. Paul talks about how if you have a spouse, you have to worry about your spouse and your kids and all these other things. Not that that's bad. That's good, too. But singleness is also good. So hear me this morning. If you're single this morning, be encouraged. But if you're also single, hoping to be married someday, hear what God is saying about marriage and divorce. To not treat marriage like a throwaway relationship like our culture is, but to treat it as something that is so richly valuable and that God can intensely bless you with if that's his plan for you. But that God will also richly bless you with singleness, with his presence and your ability to serve the kingdom of God. So don't, if you're single this morning, don't hear this and go, oh my goodness, you know, I'm left left out. You are not left out. You are not left out at all. Because you don't have to be married to have a complete life. Think about it. Jesus was the most complete person, right? He wasn't married. He had that relationship with his father. Many of the people that God used in scripture were not married. So just remember that as we talk this morning. Because ultimately, whether you're married or not, our relationship to God is the ultimate relationship that we go after. But the idea of marriage, marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. It can even have a picture of the gospel. It is a picture of the gospel. And if we had time, we'd go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and we would see where Paul talks about both husbands and wives. He states that the marriage relationship is the picture of Jesus' relationship to his people, the church. And it's why the picture and, and, the, and the sacredness of Christian marriage is so important. See, God's plan for marriage was, and still is, monogamous. One man for one woman for all of life. That is God's plan for marriage, always has been. It's intimate, it's enduring, it's lifelong. And anything as a departure from that is a departure from God's plan. We see it all over scripture, okay? So that's marriage. So what does God's word say about divorce? Well, Jesus talks about divorce a little bit here but he is caught by the religious leaders. Well, the religious leaders think they're catching him. They try to catch him later in Matthew chapter 19. So let's go over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to see some of what Jesus already said, and he's going to reiterate that. And he also quotes Genesis 2.24 here, as far as one man and one woman. And so we're going to start in verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3 through verse 12. We're not going to get into the topic of eunuchs this morning. If you have questions about it, that's fine. If you don't know what a eunuch is, look it up. It'll be awkward, all right? But the reality is, is, but, but he's also talking about those who have chosen to do that by remaining single because of a gift that God has given them, all right? So, again, we're talking specifically about marriage in the first section, divorce in the second, and singleness in the third. Jesus is addressing everything we're talking about today, And that phrase, what God has joined together, let not man separate, that is a big statement that Jesus is saying here. That's a statement that I include in every wedding ceremony I do because I personally believe that marriage is is sacred. It is a gift from God. As singleness is a gift from God, so is marriage. And it breaks my heart that our culture has torn down that ordained institution as much as it has and treated it like it's just another thing. When there is something so special about a marriage relationship, when God is included in that relationship as well, it's the core of that relationship. Just like there's something so special as being single and having a deep relationship with the Lord. Jay Adams is quoted by, he's a a Christian counselor, he's quoted by saying this, if marriage were of human origin, then human beings would have a right to set it aside. But since God instituted marriage, only he has the right to do so. Marriage as an institution, which includes individual marriages, of course, is subject to the rules and regulations set down by God. Individuals may marry, be divorced, and be remarried only if, when, and how he says they may without sinning. The state has been given the task of keeping orderly records, etc., but it has no right or competence to determine the rules for marriage and for divorce. That prerogative is God's. God's the one who set up marriage. He's the only one that can, that, that, that can set up the, the parameters for marriage. The state doesn't have the authority to define marriage. You and I don't have the, the authority to define marriage. Only God does. And for some reason, I, 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 I'm going off a little bit here. For some reason, I feel like when we get to things like divorce or we get to these uh, some of these issues, we want to say, well, you know... We want to try to explain it away by culture. We want to explain it, oh, but God's so gracious. So if I did that, it's not a big deal. We have to go back to the reality of the things we struggle with are the things we try to diminish. God's word sets a standard for us. God's word tells us what the best is for us. Do we have a choice in the matter? We absolutely do. But we also bear consequences of that. Is there always grace and mercy? Amen. Praise the Lord. There is always grace and mercy for when we mess up. Always. But my friends, there is also deep consequences that sometimes we bear the scars of the rest of our lives. And with divorce, there are deep consequences and scars that our children and our family and spouses and you name, it's deep and it's hurtful and it's lifelong. And there are still those consequences. There's there's, there's still grace and mercy to be found in our times of need, but it's still difficult. God didn't give us divorce because it was what he wanted to be the first resort he allowed divorce in certain circumstances because Jesus is stating even here that divorce is always the result of sin. Divorce is a result of sin. A sin of a spouse against another spouse. That's, we've sinned against each other. And divorce is almost always, this is a tough one to hear. Divorce is almost always sinful. Divorce is almost always sinful. There are allowances in Scripture, one of which is sexual immorality. If a spouse commits adultery, then divorce is allowed by Jesus. We just heard him say that. That is clear when an unbeliever leaves a marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Paul talks about how uh, when when an unbelieving or a believing spouse is married to an unbelieving spouse and they talk about how Paul talks about how the unbelieving spouse if the if the believing uh, sorry if I got to get this right if the believing spouse is married to an unbelieving spouse and the unbelieving spouse wants to stay married you stay married because you don't know how you can influence the unbelieving spouse for the cause of Jesus Christ but he says if the unbelieving spouse is no longer willing to be married to you And they leave, that believing spouse is now free. And divorce is allowed in that instance. Let me add here, because the issue, I don't want to get bogged down on this, but a lot of times people go, well, but what about abuse in marriage? What about physical abuse? What about sexual abuse? Because that happens in marriages. I love the conversation I have with our lead pastor, Josh Combs, and he he and I talked for about 30 minutes about this, and I, 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 I agree with what he says on this one, and, and I've come down on this here as well. If a spouse is continually abusing the other spouse, that person is not a believer because the Holy Spirit is not dwelling within that person. And that continual abuse has very strongly indicated that that person no longer wishes to be married. I believe in that instance, divorce is also allowed. It's not, again, it's not the prime standard. Otherwise, we get rid of the gospel, right? The gospel is all about redemption and forgiveness and healing and restoration. And when we go, oh, man... I, I, my spouse cheated, I'm done. Yes, I get there are deep wounds and there is so much you have to work through. But I've seen marriages that as soon as somebody cheats, they out. And they're looking for a loophole to get out of it. That's not the standard here. The goal is restoration if possible. The goal is restoration if possible. It's not a loophole. We're always looking for that restoration. Restoration. So when pain like adultery or abuse or leaving of the unbeliever happens, divorce is possible, but it's not inevitable. My friends, with Jesus, there is always hope, even in the darkest situations. But divorce is also sometimes the last resort. And it happens. And we have that allowed. But let me tell you this too. God can even redeem divorce because he's bigger than divorce. And I know that forgiveness of a spouse, if you're in that situation here this morning and you're hearing me talk and, and and you're hearing me just talk specifically about the issue, I want to tell you forgiveness of a spouse that has hurt you so deeply can seem so very impossible. I don't want to downplay the pain that you've had or are currently experiencing. I want you to know that the spirit of God mourns with you. I want you to know that God is present with you and he hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He never will. Trusting again can seem to never come. But I want us to see, and this, this is where the man, this is where the rubber meets the road. We're talking about a topic that is where do we really believe the gospel or do we not? Do we really believe in what God says or not? Because the gospel is all about restoration. He can bring healing. I don't know the time frame. I don't know what kind of time frame that might be for your life. And I don't also know the pain that you're experiencing, but I do know we serve a God who, who makes dead things come to life. I know we serve a God that does that. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in relationships of people who have had a, a spouse that, that totally cheated on them. And that spouse came to Christ and all of a sudden that, that relationship was healed. It is what a testimony for the Lord in those situations. But it doesn't mean that there weren't really extremely dark days where you didn't see light you didn't even know if God was present. But then we come back and we say, Do we believe that He's working all the time? Even if we don't see it. This is tough stuff, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna act like this isn't easy. This is just easy to even talk about. But man, it's moments like this where we have times where we go, do okay, who do I really cling to? What do I really believe? But Jesus is also stating this in Matthew 19 with God's words to the prophet Malachi. And I want to go over a few pages to the prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. We have to hear this because it's the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter, or sorry, Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, it says this. And the second thing you do, In your spirit, and let none of you be faith, faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I mean, ultimately, God says that he hates divorce, he hates divorce. And so that got me questioning, that got me thinking. Why does God hate divorce? And there's actually a few reasons. Well, number one, we've already talked about it. God made marriage; He's the only one that has the authority to redefine marriage. It's also at odds with how He made the the world. It's at odds with how He made the world. And when He says He wants godly offspring, it's not just about having kids. It's about the reality that other people are going to come to Him. It's the fact that marriage is, is a testimony to the gospel of Christ, and other people will know Jesus as a result of our relationships specifically a marriage relationship in this case. Divorce is a result of sin. We've already said that. And sin separates us from God and sin separates us from each other. But again, the biggest reason is that it is an affront to the gospel because the gospel is all about redemption and our relationship to him. And especially if you're thinking is, hey, God's going to forgive me anyway. We've grown apart. We don't love each other anymore. My friends, just because God will forgive you doesn't mean that God is going to allow that. That misses the whole point of the gospel. It misses the whole point of the gospel. Let's turn over a few pages into the, deeper in into the, into the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We got to see this to, to continue to understand what God is saying here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 is where we're going to start. And Paul is also referring back to Genesis here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a poignant statement. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So in verse 22, Paul has just spent all this time talking about wives and husbands and um, the responsibilities that a man and woman have to each other in marriage. And then he finishes with these verses that a man leaves his family, a woman leaves her family, and they hold fast to each other. They hold fast to each other. They learn about each other and they become one flesh. They are one being now. And this is a mystery. Paul says this is a mystery, but what it is, it reveals the mystery of the oneness that we can have with Jesus himself. That oneness in a marriage reveals how One mind, one heart, one spirit we can be with God himself. When we see a marriage that represents that. And then if you really look at a marriage, how does it normally happen? How, how, How do you get married? Well, a man typically pursues a woman, especially even in Jesus' day. But today as well. Sometimes a woman gets to know a guy, but typically it's the guy pursuing a lady. It's how it happened for Jeannie and me. I saw her the first day of my sophomore year in college. We, she wa- I was already in music theory that morning. I, I can see it. I can see it plain as day. And she walked into music theory. I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> she cute. <laughs> I got to get to know her. And so uh, that was, I think, a Tuesday, if I remember right. It might have been a Wednesday. The very next day, we had choir. She was a freshman, by the way. So when my daughter went to college this last fall and went into choir for the first day, I said, look out for the sophomore boys. Um, because, and Tenor specifically, because I, she ended up sitting right in front of me at choir that next day, that next day in choir. And uh, I leaned over to my friend who was sitting next to me. I'm like, dude, that's the girl I was talking about. He goes, dude, say I'm like, no, 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 back and forth, you know? And so he, he goes, hey, I'm Matt. And she turns around and goes, hi. And I said, hi, I'm Josh. And uh, she kind of went, woo, uh, <laughs> And then I asked her, I'm like, what dorm do you live in? Because we, at, at a Christian school, you have, if you have a co-ed dorm, you might have a co-ed dorm, but like this wing is all girls and this wing is all guys and the, the lobby is co-ed. Well, she lived in the same dorm I lived in. And I said, we've been here almost a week. Where you been? I haven't seen you in the lobby, you know? You got to come out and meet people. She goes, okay. Um, For those of you who don't know, Jeannie's shy, but over 23 years of marriage, she's not as shy as she used to be. Let's put it that way. Um, But uh, then that night, guess who was in the lobby? (laughs) So I went around everybody else, and Jeannie says, You were flirting with everybody before me. I'm like, Well, maybe that was kind of my plan, Um, just to kind of. You know, but I was talking to all those other girls about her anyway. I finally ended up with her about ten o'clock at night. We stayed till two a.m. out in the lobby talking and getting to know each other. And then over the next couple of weeks, you know, we started dating. And then she broke up with me. Surprise, surprise! I came on strong. Um, then about a week or two, a week later, we got back together. A week after that, she broke up with me. And then Thanksgiving of nineteen ninety seven. We started dating officially, and the rest is history. We've now been married 23 years. But, and I praise God for all of that. God's done some amazing things in our life together. But the reality of that, I, I share that to say, there was a pursuit there, right? God pursues us in the same way. If not even with a deeper love and a pure love and a, un, a, uh, uh, an unselfish love. How do I know that? He came. He became one of us. He put skin on. And he didn't come in glorious splendor, so everybody would be like drawn to him like a movie star or a Kardashian, whatever you want to say. The reality is he came as a baby. Who peed and pooped like every other baby. Who needed diaper changes? Who need whatever? If it was diapers, but I'm sure it was something back in the day. Who could not even care for himself? God came, and as if that wasn't enough, he died. He died a cruel death on the cross because it was the only way to give us a possibility of having a relationship with a holy God. He paid the penalty that if I paid, I would be condemned for eternity. But because he paid for it in my place, I have the hope of eternity. That's how we know God pursued us. See, there's a pursuit in the gospel that we can lose if we don't see this. But at the beginning, even from the beginning of the Old Testament, the whole of the Bible points to Jesus. He came to Abraham first and the nation of Israel, and he drew them to him, and then they ran around and, and went after all kinds of other spouses. God talks a lot of his relationship with the nation of Israel in married terms, and he talks about how they became prostitutes to other gods and other things that they followed. The whole book of Hosea is about that. It's that picture but in the middle of all that, God pursued his people. Christmas is about his pursuit. We're about to go into that period of time. He would be born in Bethlehem. Shepherds would worship him. Angels would announce him. Kings would adore him. And what is his name? What is his name? Emmanuel, God with us. He came. And not only did he came, Romans 5, 8 to 10 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. He sacrificed to make this relationship possible. Marriage is designed to be an earthly example of our relationship with God as one flesh. That's why he hates divorce. So, if this is the case, if this is what we're talking about, that God allows divorce in very, very limited circumstances, how then do we live? How do we live? What do we do with this? We have to point all of our lives at Jesus with purity of heart. We have to point all of our lives at Jesus. With purity of heart, and not just a purity of heart. Like sometimes when we think of purity, it's it's like it being sexually pure. Yes, it includes that. But if we go back to the Beatitudes and we think about blessed with the pure in heart, when we talked about that, we talked about the fact that that purity is a laser focus. It's a purity of intent. It's a purity of of um, of energy of living for God. It's a laser focus on pointing our lives at Him. And when we live with a purity of heart toward Jesus, that's our focus. He is our focus. Two people that have their lives focused upon Jesus cannot have a failed marriage. Hear me this morning. Two people, two people that have their lives focused on God cannot have a failed marriage. And ultimately, as we close this morning, I want to apply some of the, something I learned that I thought was worded so well that I read this week from a commentary called Exalting Jesus in Matthew. It's on this. Very, it's a very last paragraph on and it's on the commentary on Matthew 19. And I'm just going to use the bullet points this morning because I thought it was so good. If you're married, love your spouse in a way that points to the gospel. If you're married today, love your spouse in a way that points to the gospel. Follow what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Give yourselves up for them as Christ gave himself up for the church. Far too long, we focused on the beginning part of that passage where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands and respect him. And yes, while that's true, what the deeper and harder commitment is, is what Paul told the men. Love your wives and give yourself up for them as, he, as Christ gave himself up for the church. How did Christ give himself up for the church? He gave his life for her, for for, for her, for the church. Husbands, that's what we're called to do to love our wives. We die to ourselves and we serve our wives the way Christ served the church by giving his life up for the church. And yes, wives, respect your husbands and help your entire family know Jesus better. We have those responsibilities in our homes. But the bottom line of this is both of you submit to each other because you love Jesus. Outdo each other in serving each other. Wouldn't it be great to have an argument that says, let me do the dishes. No, let me do the dishes. No, let me do the dishes. You ever had that argument in your home? Probably not. Probably not. But we're supposed to outdo each other in service to one another. That's true of all of us, by the way, not just in marriage. Now, for those of you that might be considering divorce this morning, remember the preciousness of the gospel. Remember the preciousness of the gospel. The first questions you have to answer is do you have a biblical grounds for divorce? Biblical grounds, not just what you think are biblical grounds. Marital unfaithfulness, an unbelieving spouse left the marriage, which refers to ongoing abuse. That's the allowances. According to God's word. Again, we hear that in our culture and we think, oh my gosh, what does it take in our culture? Irreconcilable differences, that's all it takes. That is not the biblical standard. Again, we have a hard time coming to God's word and saying, God, help me live according to the standard that you have given, rather than saying, God, here's your word, I'm going to apply it the way that works best for me. What's the authority in our lives? If we say we follow God, it must be his word. And we go back to his word to learn, and that's what God has stated in his word as far as how divorce works. Again, if, if you do have a biblical grounds for divorce, don't use it as a loophole. Seek counsel. Ask for help. Divorce is a last resort, not the first choice. God, is, God allowed it in these circumstances, though it may be necessary. It may be necessary. If you don't have grounds for biblical divorce... Consider how you may be able to resolve the conflict with your spouse, which is undeniably real and even damaging. Ask the church for help. Seek wise counsel. Don't suffer in silence. There are people that want to help. There are people that want to help. And I say that, and maybe somebody's in that place this morning, you go, I don't know, even know what that looks like. It can only happen as you look at the gospel and desire to serve Jesus above all. I realize there's pain. I know things can seem hopeless, but again, we serve a God that raised from the dead and makes dead things come to life. He made us alive after being dead and he can do the same thing in your marriage. He can do that. Francis Chan wrote in the book, You and Me Forever, our growth community, is we have a married people growth community um, on Wednesday nights, and he, he says this. In the middle of an amazing marriage, will you put your eyes on the giver rather than the gift? In the midst of a difficult marriage, will you suffer for the sake of righteousness? Are you willing to follow the example of Christ to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? You have been called to be Christ-like, and praise God, he doesn't call us to something he is not fully able to realize in us. You may not feel like being Christ-like, but you have been called to it. I don't know why we think we should always feel good or strong or able or ready. Very often, we know the path we ought to take, whether in marriage or some other area of life, yet we fail to act because we're not feeling it. There's, there's one thing I positively know. It's that feelings cannot be trusted, not for a second. Too often, feelings are based on perception, self-preservation, fears, and emotion. I go back to trust your heart. Never trust your heart. Don't ever do it. The world's going to tell you, follow your heart. No! Can I say it stronger? No! Why? Because in the Old Testament, God told us, if I remember right, it's Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't follow our hearts. If we follow our heart, I can guarantee you it's going to be wrong. We follow Jesus. We follow him. I also want to tell you that, uh, again, if we can help in any way, that's what we're here for. We have a divorce care group. For those of you that have been through divorce... Um, in Holly, on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m., every single Wednesday, there's a divorce care group. Child care is available. If you want information, you can go to our website, text, I'd like information, to 97,000, the number that we talked about this morning. Um, we have that specifically to help. If you're suffering alone, don't. There are, there are people that want to help you. Now, if you're divorced for a biblical reason and single... Rest in the gospel in your singleness and possibly in a future marriage. You can rest in the fact that God holds you right where you are. In the middle of your struggle and even in your pain, divorce hurts and hurts everybody involved. You can rest in your singleness and lean into God heavily. You can even get to a place of rejoicing in it because of who Jesus is. And if God leads you to remarry, let the gospel be the center of this relationship and point your lives at Jesus if you have a biblical reason for divorce. If you're divorced for an unbiblical reason and are single, repent and rely on God to glorify, or rely on the gospel to glorify God in the middle of your singleness. Because again, there's always forgiveness and grace at the foot of the cross. And I want you to, I want you to hear me this morning. There's no condemnation in God's word. There's no condemnation from God. There's no condemnation from me today either. But we are called to Repent. We're called to repent of that sin to God and to your former spouse. I know that may take a lot. It may be too difficult for you right now. Ask God for the strength to see things the way he does. And once you experience God's forgiveness, the gospel offers you great hope for a life that thrives living for him in your singleness. If you're divorced for an unbiblical reason and remarried, repent and reflect the gospel in your current marriage. Scripture encourages us to repent genuinely before God and your former spouse. Again, that may be difficult, but it's what God's word calls us to do. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to become divorced again. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Again, there's forgiveness and grace at the foot of the cross. Magnify Jesus in your marriage that you have now by the power of the gospel and experience his healing and grace. And if you're single today, point your life at Jesus with purity of heart. Don't pursue marriage. Pursue Jesus. Don't pursue marriage. Pursue Jesus. Follow him and he's going to guide you to his will for your life. Marriage may, well, may very well be part of his plan for you. But if you put him first and seek him first and seek his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He's going to guide you. And if you keep your focus on him, your potential future marriage will be about the gospel. I can't say that's wrong enough. If you're, single, if you're single this morning... Many of us want to, many those that are single want to get married. That's a good desire. And you're saying you've been married for 23 years. You don't know what it's like. I knew what it was like when I was 20, you know. And my sophomore year, I was pursuing marriage. (laughs) But I also experienced some struggle because I pursued marriage and not Jesus completely. Don't pursue marriage. Pursue Jesus and trust Him. But for all of us, point all of your life at Jesus with purity of heart. Because my friend, at the heart of the gospel, in the middle of divorce, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of pain, in the middle of, uh, of, of tough circumstances, in the middle of all this, at the heart of the gospel is victory. It's victory. Jesus has overcome it all. The cross stands above it all. Know that wherever you are this morning. Yes, we've had to talk about some hard things this morning. But know this, God is bigger than anything we could ever do because he died on a cross for every single thing that we could have ever done and ever will do and we can be forgiven of it and we can sign restoration in the middle of it as we follow his word, as we follow him. Pursue Jesus. If I leave you with anything today, this is what we have to focus on when we think about this whole issue. We have to pursue Jesus and make him our focus. How do we pursue Jesus? Well, if we're going to know him, what do we do? We've got to stay close to him. We've got to stay close to him. We've got to get in the word. We've got to be around other people that love him. We've got to worship him in times that will struggle. We need to be near him. That's how we know him. So point your life at Jesus. Point your life at Jesus with purity of heart. The cross stands above it all. And don't forget it this morning. Again, if there's anybody that wants to have a conversation about this or, or needs some clarification about what I talked about this morning, please reach out. Because here's what will happen. You'll hear something or maybe I missaid something which happens often. You'll go home and you'll mull it over, and that pastor. Oh my gosh! Rah, rah, rah. And then before you know it, you're ticked off at of me, and I'm going, "I didn't know." I well, let's have a conversation, right? So if you're struggling with something that maybe I said or what what you heard, please call. I really do mean it. Um, my 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 phone's there. My doors are open. Uh, you know, I, my goal is that we follow Jesus with everything we've got. In the middle of good times unspeakably horrendous times we point our lives at him that he would be magnified that Christ would be magnified in our lives in good times and in suffering in marriage and that he would even get the glory and forgiveness and grace when when we've experienced the pain of divorce your life at him with purity of heart let's pray lord we love you we thank you for your word we thank you that it is sharper than any double-edged sword divided between bone and marrow and and and, and judges the thoughts and intents of our hearts god we've talked about a tough subject this morning and i i pray that your spirit was heard that God, you have set a standard for us and it's for our good, not to harm us, but it's for our good and for your glory. But we have to confess that sometimes living according to that is difficult for us. And a lot of times it doesn't even make sense because we hear other things in our world around us. God, help us to hear your word. Help us to trust your heart. Help us to know that whatever situation we find ourselves in, you are ever present with us, ready to forgive, and that there's always hope because of the cross of Christ. Help us to point our lives at you with purity of heart. In Jesus' name we pray.